physical training, self-defense training, firearms training, situational awareness, and the warrior mindset. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast. This world podcast. Welcome to the Condition One Podcast. This is a podcast where we'll be talking about being ready. We'll also be speaking to victim survivors of physical encounters, how they dealt with the aftermath physically, mentally, and spiritually. And welcome to the Condition One Podcast with John Riddle. I am your host, John Riddle. And today we're going to be speaking to Chief Instructor of Omega Protective Concepts, Mari Abreu. Before we get started, I'd like to thank my sponsor, CTG, the Crestwood Technology Group. CTG supplies defense and aviation industries with critical parts and material designed to keep fleets and systems operational, ready, and safe. If you want to check them out, check them out at ctgnow.com. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Omega Protective Concepts Chief Instructor, owner, Mr. Maury Abreu. Maury, thanks for coming on, bro. I appreciate it. More pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, man. Uh, we speak a lot to each other. Uh, you know, we've—I don't think we've really ever had the chance to uh, train together or do anything together. Uh, I know what you do. You know what I do. Uh, we're kind of close, similar, maybe not. Okay, but uh, I wanted to bring you on because um, I think we both have the same type of mindset for what we're doing. Okay, and that's protecting today's society. Um, whether they be military, law enforcement, or civilians, and making them the best people that they can be, right? Be able to protect themselves, be able to protect their families uh, in today's crazy world, right? Yeah. First question, an icebreaker that I like to use that I stole from somebody else. Um, what is your morning routine? What do you do when your feet hit the floor out of bed? So uh, my intention in the morning, as soon as I open my eyes, is to be thankful. Um, I'm thankful, you know, people are thankful for whatever it is they're thankful for and whatever they think the source is. I know what I believe my source is. Mm -hmm. And I, even before I open my eyes, I'll just lay there and just say, before I start my day and, and my feet even hit the ground and I get out of this bed, um, and I start thinking, cause my mind is always on. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I intentionally pause and I'm thankful for breathing i'm thankful for living i'm thankful for the things that every one of us i don't care how humble we think we are take for granted at some point mm -hmm. um and i thank god for that that's the very first thing i do before i allow my brain to drift um and then i i get up i uh i do operate on coffee yeah. Uh, so I'll get down, I'll, I'll get coffee. My wife gets up really early as well. She's a businesswoman and an entrepreneur. So we'll typically spend a few minutes together. We'll have some coffee and I get the day started. I have my to-do list prepared probably a week prior, definitely the night prior. And I'll just start hammering out and laying out my day mm -hmm. as far as uh, what am I going to do professionally to advance this effort of this business. Sure. Uh, and the workouts vary. Uh, I'll either do something first thing in the morning or 
frankly, midday. Uh, we have six children. <laughs> oh, you got a house full. That's right. Yeah. Houseful. So our two-year-old um, can sense. I think she has a, a radar on me when I'm not in the room. Uh -huh. So uh, uh, I'll either try to get a workout in really early or sometime midday. Mm -hmm. uh, midday is more fun because my wife joins me. Okay. On those. And um, and that's my morning routine. So I get up. I, I I do my prayers. I have my coffee, and I just set my schedule. My schedule's already set. I just look at it, and I. And I look at what are the priorities and knowing not that maybe, but life is going to happen and interruptions are going to come. I have my must list. Like if I can only get three things done today, mm -hmm. these are the three things that have to get done. Okay. And that's my routine. Great. Now let me ask you a question. I'm very curious of this because I know I plan my day out. Okay. My alarm goes off at 4:30. I'm a coffee guy too. Uh, I get up brush my teeth, two cups of coffee, and I'm at the gym, or I'm training either on the beach or I'm, I'm here at this facility and I'm doing something uh, for about an hour, hour and a half, okay? On your to-do list that you make out, is it all business? Is it strictly Omega Protective? Or is it, okay, today I've got to clean out the garage. I've got to do something domestic, or is it all business? It absolutely is mixed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a father first before I'm any title. I work for the government full time. I don't, I'm not at liberty to discuss my specific job. You know what it is. And the reason is I've signed a contract with the government stating that I would not use my official title for personal or professional gain. Sure. Uh, work for Uncle Sam conducting counterterrorism operations around the globe. Uh, May 26, I hit my 20 year mark. So that's what I that's do with men. So a lot of times, especially through this COVID uh, adjustment that we've been through, you know, there are things that I absolutely must get done for my, my main uh, income, if you will, uh, a provider, which is my, my, my J-O-B, my career, which is also my passion. So yes, my to-do list definitely includes things outside of just business. And as a husband and father, there are things, you know, as a homeowner, there are things that pop up uh, sometimes hourly that require my attention. So the, the list is uh, very varied. Um, it always has business uh, items on there because, you know, my business, I, I, I kind of, no disrespect to anyone that uses this term, but I really don't like the term side business. Yes, I agree. We don't relegate that word to any relationship that we value. Mm -hmm. And you know, because you run a business very successfully, right? You're a, a, a recognized person in the industry, you're a, 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 a you know, a instructor of the year, the whole deal. Mm -hmm. You can't do that half-assed, you're in or you're out. Now you might have competing priorities. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our, we gotta take care of our wives. We have to take care of our loved ones. Uh, we have to take care of, uh, you know, paying the bills, whatever that is. Um, but if we just, look at our business as a side thing or side hustle. I don't like that term. I think it programs us to just have it off to the side. Omega's not on the side. It is front and center with everything else. There's a hierarchy. It does not come before my children, right. but it, it also is part of what I want most for my children. This is the funnel that's going to, this is a conduit to that. So it can't be on the flank. It has to be at the 12. Okay, perfect.
great great answers. You know, because I, I struggle with that sometimes. You know, it's, <clears throat> and, you know, when I talk about the business uh, here at Riddle Defense, it's I get up in the morning, I have my things laid out too as to what I'm going to do. And it's, it could be hours of something with Riddle Defense throughout my, in my day. So I might get up at, and do some reading and then do some, uh, some curriculum, adjusting things, and I might be on it for maybe half a day. Now, my question to you is when you're doing something like that for Omega, how much time do you spend on that particular area of Omega throughout your day? Do you spend, okay, I'm gonna sit four hours and do this, or you know what, I've got other things going on, and I'm gonna spend an hour on this topic, an hour on this topic, and move on. How do you handle that? That may be one of the best, uh, I use this term loosely, life hack questions anyone has ever, that is the best life hack question anyone has ever asked me. Because we know as entrepreneurs, you know, everything is a competing priority. It just is, right? Because everything has value in that it feeds the, the goal. So what I do is I'll give you a perfect example, kind of within this nexus. One of the things that I'm doing now is an instructor certification program for my instructors. Mm -hmm. And there's a pathway for them. And so I was guilty of for decades, not like for a little bit, everything I taught was right here. I didn't write anything down. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Is there a reason why? Um, because for whatever reason, uh, I don't have this skill set in other areas of my life. It's really, really weird. But when it comes to this passion of teaching, I don't have to, to look at it on paper. It's here. I practice it, uh, through action, through training, through okay. doing okay. right. So, um, I think the way just kind of my brain works, you know, the adult learner theory, which I learned in the Academy as an instructor, uh, where, where I taught for five years at, at our international Academy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, through the Marine Corps uh, close combat program, Cardo Urso, mm -hmm. who many people know is a uh, uh, retired Marine. Uh, and he's actually a UFC judge, uh, intimately involved in the MMA community uh, and a brain when it comes to the academic learning process. How does the adult learner, and he took this and we packaged this for training people in combative self-defense, defensive tactics is how do I give you information that you can retain, not how I retain it. Right. And how do I present that information? So whether we learn by doing, by hearing, by seeing, or a combination of that is how that information is presented. So for me, as far as never writing anything down, um, I, I will tell you, I do not have the best memory, but with, when it comes to equipping people for success against violence, you know, fighting techniques, different uh response options for you know being on the ground standing in the vehicle different weapon systems i've always been able to just retain it the issue is if i want to give that to someone which now i'm in a position to do with an instructor cadre that's growing it's either a thousand phone calls a thousand zooms or i need to put it on paper so i can give someone a, a living document that they can you know touch and absorb and read and digest so that's why I've transitioned to having to do that. And I never had to do it before uh, for whatever reason, 
that is something that I absorb really, uh, you know, just profoundly when it comes to what if I if I if I have a technique that I believe in, it's 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 just burned on my brain and it sure. never leaves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. OK, great. Um, how long have you been doing personally been doing combatives? So I started, I was raised, uh, I love my parents, God bless them. I have grace and, and there's no issue there. They've both uh, moved on. Uh, but I was raised in, an, in a very toxic, explosive, abusive household and environment. Mm -hmm. So um, though I may not have been practicing combatives, I sure the hell was on the receiving end of a lot of things. So, you know, before I went to uh, a course and learned what the target areas of the body are and what hurts where I was very familiar with that. Okay. And so, uh, I, I think, uh, side note on that for anyone that may have the that journey, which is many, many of us, if you're still sour about it, go get unsour because that's no way to live your life. And it's a very, very, very common thing, mm -hmm. uh, to have happened. And guess what? Your parents didn't get an owner's manual when they had you and they probably were doing the best that they could. So, so just wanted to kind of touch on that because people, they skim over that. They don't want to touch it. And I never spoke on it ever until mm -hmm. my wife convinced me to a few years ago. And really what I thought was something that no one wanted to hear was really just my ego and my pride because I didn't want to talk about it. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So, so uh, it's very healing to just be fucking honest, man, and just let it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, um, you know, I was very familiar with, pain pathways. We'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. I got into combat sports when I was, I think like nine years old, you know, did the traditional martial arts. I did not like the traditional martial arts at all. Okay. Uh, I, I did not like the structure. I didn't like, I had a, a, a I had a lifetime of already in my house. I wasn't looking for that outside of my house. Right. Um, I liked team sports, um, but I was bored in, 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 uh, in Taekwondo. And um, so I wanted to do uh, boxing. I actually wanted to do kickboxing. Mm -hmm. And I, I really got to give my father credit on this. He goes, no, you're not going to do kickboxing. You're going to do boxing. And if you're any good at it, maybe one day you'll make some money doing that. So I was introduced to, you know, truly, in my opinion, a combat sport boxing. I started that, I believe, when I was about 11 years old. And um, I, you know, I did that well into actually uh, competed, you know, in the golden gloves and diamond gloves and all that well into my twenties. And I, I became a close combat instructor in the Marine Corps. Okay. So that was when my legitimate teaching and training journey began was I was still a teenager actually uh, in the Marine Corps going through the program. I, I really absorbed that. I like, I, I loved it. Uh, so that's where I started teaching uh, anything that could even be, be closely related to, to being considered combatives was uh, in 1997, I guess I would say. Okay. All right. How often do you personally train today? Meaning I attend someone's class where I get to be the student? Yes. Uh, whether you attend someone's class or you are at home and you have a place to, to do it, how often yeah. do you train? I train every single day. Uh, so every day without fail, I'll do something, even if it's five minutes. Mm -hmm. Now it may not be as dynamic as someone may be envisioning what combatives is, uh, but whether it's dry firing, whether it's, uh, you know, drawing my, my blade, uh, you know, striking the bag, um, just 
there's always some form of training every day. Uh, as far as attending classes, I'm a really good student. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at dropping the instructor hat. And yes, you have to think. So, so I don't want this to be misinterpreted. But for me, when I get, if you're running a class next week, it's mm -hmm. a week long and I get to be a student, I feel as though I don't have to think because the responsibility of the instructor is gone. Yes. I get to do the John Riddle show for a week and I'm right. going to do what you tell me to do. Okay. Uh, it, you know, it, it, unless there's something just, I guess there would be never from you, but something uh, that just, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't sign up for a class that I wouldn't fully participate in. I'm, in fact, I'm going to a course um, that's coming up. That's taught by Jim Smith, who's a retired Delta force uh, hero. Uh, actually he was prominently featured in the, Black Hawk Down movie, which was popular, mm -hmm. you know, some time ago. He wrote, uh, he was responsible for initiating and launching the uh, curriculum for both firearms and tactics for the Federal Air Marshal Service. Okay. And he's retired now and a really special human being, one of the best instructors I've ever met. And he's coming out from Texas to teach a class. And I will be a student for 27 hours in his class. And right. I don't know if I'm more excited about seeing him and learning right. or the fact that Again, it's it's going to be challenging. It's going to test my skills. Mm -hmm. That I, it's going to identify my developmental needs, which I think is important for us. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Uh, but I won't have to. Th it's easy for me to be a student, man. You tell me to shoot that thing and run here, and mm -hmm. and you physically stress me out, and and PT and all that. I can do. I'm very good at doing that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I look to do that, uh, John. I look to do that at least at least once, usually twice a year. Okay. And I'm very selective before I do that with because no ego here, but you know, if you're gonna subordinate yourself, John, to someone that's gonna teach you something, mm -hmm. they gotta bring it. They have to have, not a resume, because we know people with resumes right. that are not really skilled in delivering the product, but they have to have something that you're like, you know what, I, I wanna learn this, or I want to participate in this thing and and see what their perspective is on it mm -hmm. so that I can perform better. Okay, excellent, excellent answer. Now, when you do this, when you go away and you, you absorb all this from whoever, okay, whoever you choose to go to, how much of that do you bring back to your curriculums? An excellent question. So, you know, after a while, and this is probably bad, but it's true. There is, there does come a saturation point mm -hmm. in this thing of countering violence. You were, you were a police officer. Violence is violence is violence is yeah. violence. There is an evolution sometimes in the methodology, but the attack is the attack, man. Yes. Whoever is selling flanking in the, in this combatives realm as a new thing, their delivery may be new. But but armies flanking armies and getting to their weak side, this is yeah. millennia. Yes. Yes. This is millennia. So, so so understanding that there's not much new under the sun, what I truly appreciate is learning maybe a different way to present the information because I say this all the time. I say this to all my fellow instructors in, in this industry, which I have many, many, many close friends. It is never about you, the instructor. It is always about the instructed. If you cannot deliver the product that you have, 
the information to the end user, you are, you're wasting their money and you're wasting their time, maybe unintended. Mm -hmm. So how much of that do I take? I take whatever I believe is applicable to my folks. I had a, I'll give you an example. I was training, I did a private course for a young lady, young girl, early twenties. Her boyfriend signed her up for a private session with me. Mm -hmm. She had been hospitalized from broken bones by an abusive ex that was still stalking her. Hmm. So here I am in a three hour session, our first time we've ever met. Um, this young lady is trembling mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm asking her to grasp this concept of violence, which is the very thing that she has found to be repugnant yes. and nauseating. It hospitalized her and I'm asking her to find a way to embrace this violence and use it to repel violence. That is a hell of a task to do. Sure. And so, so through my collective experiences, it's not just that I have information on techniques. It's not just that I've been myself, I understand to a rather high level abuse, both psychological and physical, but also you know, um, participating in women's self-defense classes mm -hmm. and seeing how women absorb information uh, would be a, a, an example of a template, if you will, of where I would take something from a class. How is this information being delivered to women by women in this realm mm -hmm. of self-defense mm -hmm. or whatever we're calling it, combatives, right? And so how much of that did I take really kind of varies, but I was able to take this young lady in less than three hours from no power, not because she wasn't powerful, not because she wasn't athletic, but she was scared to just growling by the end of the class and being thankful and grateful and appreciative and understanding that um, though it was used for evil against her, violence is not always a bad thing. Absolutely. And you have a right to love yourself enough and the things you value to use anything, anything that's available to you. If it means you being in a position to where you're standing up for yourself, protecting yourself and not allowing yourself to be dominated by fear or, uh, or violence. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's, I agree with you hundred percent, you know, and it's it, going away to different classes. You know, it's I go away. I'm getting ready to go uh, in July for for a weekend. I just got back. It was in January. I was uh, away for a three day one on one training with a guy up in Central Florida, uh, a former SEAL, and you know he, the delivery was excellent. You know uh, some of the things that we did, uh, I've done before. You know, but it's the delivery that he had with it was exceptional, you know, and, and to come across an instructor that's that way, um, that can do that. Sometimes it, I think it's kind of rare, you know, Yeah. some of us can do it and do it to a high degree and others, uh, they can do it and they can explain it also at that same level, you know? Yes. So I find that very important to be able to do that, to get the point across, like you said, uh, maybe redundant, but how do you develop what you teach or do you strictly go by somebody else's playbook? Because we see a lot of that, 
okay? And, and I think you may have said it in, a, in another roundabout way where there's nothing new. I don't believe there's anything really new out there. Uh, and it really depends on how people deliver it, right? And maybe there's a different angle to that, uh, to that whatever you're learning. How, how do you handle something like that? How do you, uh, do, you de- how do you develop what you teach or do you go by another playbook? Yeah, so I absolutely teach, you know, it's not Maury's combatives, it's Maury's version of combatives through the umbrella of Omega Protective Concepts. Okay, right? all right. So, so what I'm teaching is a collective. Are there some things that I completely have created from scratch myself, they're my ideas? I have a few. Um, I don't make, I don't make uh, sourcing things, uh, you know, religion for me, right? And what I mean by that is, um, I don't spend, you know, five hours in my class stopping to um, explain kind of where everything comes from. I tell people very openly, what are my influences? I'm a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. Well, before I went to any school, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That that's a fact, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a product of that. I understand pain pathways before anyone put it up on a PowerPoint, right? Um, so, so I have that, I have my experiences in life in being in altercations, some of which I had no intentions of ever being in, but was, but found myself in, Mm -hmm. in the street. Right. Uh, uh, some of it comes from my experience in the Marine Corps being a close combat instructor. Some of it comes from my agency who has spent, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars sending me to just so many different schools and learning, not just the curriculum, but learning from the people in the class that have their twists, their perspectives, their answers on how to deal with violence. Um, I have my, I am influenced heavily by my agency Mm. in the sense that what we do is in an absolute extreme real not just a cool word that's used an extreme close quarter environment which for me to even access any of my weapons i have to create space by hurting the person that is on top of me in some way Mm -hmm. who is coming at me from a position of dominance Mm -hmm. and i'm in a position of disadvantage Mm -hmm. and that's my starting point yeah that's my profession so does that influence what I teach people? Absolutely, because there's a BS filter that comes with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a really great technique and it doesn't work. Yeah. This is a phenomenal technique and in my environment, that will never work. Mm-hmm. And in this restrictive environment, 90% of this amazing art called jujitsu is completely not applicable, but 10% is. So let's delve into that 10% and let's master it. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as, and I hope I'm answering your question, as far as what do I teach? I, I teach from collective experience, from a legitimate training uh, journey. I don't teach a certain curriculum. I take, you know, collectively, if 10 people teach elbows, I'm going to teach the, the one that I believe is most effective and that I have, and, and, I, and I'll end answering this question this way. One of the blessings that I've had is teaching 45 to 50 students at a time for three hour sessions twice, sometimes three times a day, five days a week, then getting in a full suit and having them fight 
their their graduation was dependent on it. That was the consequence. Sure. Having them fight for their job mm -hmm. and being on the receiving end of that and mm -hmm. seeing how people react, what people do, what people don't do, what is absorbable by the end user of different height, different sizes, different experience level, different le levels of athleticism by the by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reps. And I and I look at that, I use that as information and data. And that's my that's my litmus test of, okay, this works. No one's ever done this. It's training. Mm -hmm. It's not real, mm -hmm. but it's, we can take from that. And then obviously some of the things that I have taught that I said, you know what, an X amount of engagements in the street, I never use that technique. I never thought to use that technique and I've never seen it used. So that's probably not going to make it into our curriculum. So that's how I approach what I teach. Who am I heavily influenced by? The Marine Corps, Kelly McCann, uh, my upbringing, my father, um, who would teach me things, uh, boxing. Uh, I was blessed to be trained by not just people when I was a young kid, not just people that were in boxing, but these guys came from the streets. So, uh, you know, Jody Ballard, for example, uh, 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 who was one of Muhammad Ali's sparring partners. My first, before I, again, I was a child, before someone taught me a firearm disarm on a PowerPoint or even in class or even in the Marine Corps, I saw one. Mm -hmm. I saw a 50 something year old overweight man, completely not in shape, who only had the skill of boxing and a lot of piss and vinegar. Mm -hmm. Get in an engagement with two individuals one was a uh, god knows what degree martial art black belt in his 20s and did his karate on him and it was ineffective and all he did was keep his hands up close the distance and drop him then come inside and be attacked by a stool by the other uh, gentleman and he just again kept his hands up closed the distance let that stool go right past him hit him in the soft portion of the belly he goes down he runs behind the counter goes to grab the desk. I didn't know what he was going for. Goes to open the drawer and my trainer grabs his head, smashes it on the desk, blood goes everywhere. And that was his effective disarm yeah. to a firearm. So I am a, a, a result of these experience and these things I've seen. I haven't seen it all. I don't pretend to see it all. These aren't war stories. They're my stories. There you go. So I use that and I teach people what I believe is going to best equip them for success. And I'll end on this, John. I have six children. What I'm teaching, just for example, my 14-year-old has to work. It has to work. I can't think it works. It can't be something that I like. It can't be something that someone I highly respect teaches but doesn't work for her. It has to work because I don't teach surviving violence. I teach dominating. You and I do not want the ladies that we love most in our lives surviving a sexual assault. Exactly. There is a difference, them, right? You want them to dominate so it does not occur. Yes. Both may require, you know, post-incident therapy, but they're two different kinds of therapy, man, mm -hmm. because in one it actually happened and then the other one it was stopped. Mm -hmm. That's my approach to training people. Excellent. Excellent. So um, seeing that you you're mix who you're teaching, you're teaching civilians, you're teaching military, you're teaching law enforcement people. Um, who do you feel is the easiest out of those groups to train? Okay. And 
who to you seems the most eager to want to learn? That's a great question. Uh, the easiest to train, hands down, no questions asked, are civilians because of the hunger. And I'll caveat this, not law enforcement, but the law enforcement professional that on his own or her own time and dime shows up at your course, they're hungry. Yes. You can make an argument that the, the squatologist is easier than the civilian because they've got more skill. But for, and that's true on the surface, that is true, they've got more skill, but the civilian is so hungry and everything you teach them is so new and they're so willing as is, as is the experienced officer, again, that's there on his own time or her own time and dime mm -hmm. at your course. Um, but I would say both, I would say both of those are the easiest to train and they're the ones I enjoy training the most. I have to agree with you on that 100%. And just coming from my, from me, okay, uh, growing up in law enforcement, in the 28 years that I was there, uh, you know, I got on a SWAT team, tried out and was selected for the SWAT team early on in my law enforcement career. I tried out early with a group, and I was one of the guys selected on the team. Get on the team, we start training, we're doing things, and I'm, I always boxed. I was always into some type of martial art. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I, I got involved in some street fights growing up in Philly. And That's shocking. <laughs> and I worked, it, I worked in Philly for some time. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lo lovely. <laughs> so in my early in my career, when I was on the SWAT team, all the training we did, a lot of firearms training, a lot of fire, different weapon systems, right? The, our, our handguns, our MP5s, our shotguns, uh, and continuous training on that as a team. And then we were uh, tasked to train on our own, come in and shoot, come in and shoot. Okay, great. You know, and then we did tactics. We had day of tactics. But the thing that I noticed was missing was we didn't have any hands-on training. You know, it was, and again, I'm young in the game, right? And I'm thinking, I've been through the door. I've been through the door on a team in my 16 years on the team, probably a thousand times, okay? How many times do we actually go to guns on someone, okay? It's not that often, but we're always putting hands on people. So it was a thing with me with, okay, now, guys, and I went to my commander about it, and I said, you know, there's a, there's a course coming up on tactics, uh, SWAT tactics, and empty hand control techniques that I'd like to take. We don't have the money. Okay, I do. So now the bartering has to happen, right? It's, okay, I'll pay my way. I'll get myself there if you give me the time off right? And this bartering had to happen. I spent thousands, me and a buddy of mine spent thousands of dollars out of our own pocket to go and get training, you know? And it's something like you said, that person, that particular law enforcement officer is going to be eager. They're there for their, for their gain, for their personal gain, and maybe to turn around and take something back to their agency that they're lacking, right? Civilians, I've always been impressed with the civilian population because it's, they show up, their cup is empty for the most part, 
they listen and they participate, you know, and they come at you with eyes the size of pie plates when things that you and I have been involved in and they look at the simple thing that we think is simple, right, and that we've been doing for, for years and they say, wow, this is, this is unbelievable, this is cool, this, is, this works, you know. So I agree with you 100%. You know, the law enforcement officers that are footing the bill out of their pocket and the civilians, because it's coming out of their pocket. I went out to Thunder Ranch a few years back and took uh, a urban rifle course. And me and two buddies of mine were the only cops there out of 25, out of 27 people, I think it was. And these civilians, they opened up their rifle cases, and man, I'm telling you, they <laughs> They, nice stuff. It's like they, they've got everything, you know, and they're ready to go. They're ready to train. So, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, what, what is the age ranges that you have in your classes? Uh, and, and do you – let me add on to that. Do you have a brick-and-mortar place? So, yeah, so I do not have a brick-and-mortar place okay. by design. So we have a very unique approach to training, and then we travel to train. Okay. And I partner with either, you know, different gyms, different facilities, uh, other folks that have that already own a, a range or a training uh, company. Right. Uh, in fact, I would say 75 percent of the courses we're teaching between now and the end of this year. Uh, and we have classes just about every other weekend through then uh, Delaware, uh, Florida, Connecticut. Uh, Pennsylvania, Spain, um, are with probably 70, 75% of those are with companies that we're sharing the stage with. Gotcha. Which is actually a beautiful thing. I know we spoke on this briefly because that then allows, you're bringing a different flavor, mm -hmm. which, which, you know, if I'm bringing someone on board, then clearly it's like, Hey, you know, you're, 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 you're not just teaching what you're teaching, not because you don't believe that your stuff is absolutely awesome. It's like, hey, listen, learn from me and maybe learn to hear the same thing or something different from someone else so that you can get a better product. Right. So we're doing a lot of that. So we don't have a brick and mortar. Uh, I really have, at least not right now, no desire or intention to have anything that's brick and mortar. Uh, I really enjoy the travel to train uh, business model a lot. OK. Uh, me busy. Not that, not that I really need to be more busy. Right. <laughs> but it keeps me busy. It keeps me going. So that's, so that's how we do that. And then your other question, the first one was on brick and mortar and the other one was age, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. What oh, age, so, which age do you, do you have come to see you or when you show up, what yeah. ages are usually there? Typically it's adults. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to be children, so I am not, uh, person that believes that you shouldn't train children because see our charity arm is King's ransom foundation. Yes. That's mm -hmm. my business's charity arm, which frees children from the sex slave industry. Mm -hmm. That's, and then we donate 10%, every class we teach, every product we sell 10% of what we grow. So we donate directly towards our charity arm. So we have an investment but not just one with finances, but one with action or, or, you know, service, mm -hmm. which is we will train 
children as long as typically they've got to be at least 12 years old because in order for them to absorb to process yes to process this that we're going to be teaching the type of things that you and i would be teaching there has to be a level of maturity there for them to be able to process that right um and so i don't do kids classes mm -hmm. but i will allow parents to bring their children with them and learn and train alongside them and or other mature you know, children that are mature enough. Mm -hmm. uh, heck, I'm in my mid forties. I don't know that I'm mature, right? But a child that's mature enough to absorb this information. So we don't do children's classes, but I won't not teach your child. If you're like, hey, I have a, I have a, a daughter that's you know 13 years old and she's getting bullied in school, mm -hmm. and I'm the type of parent that wants her equipped for if something were to happen that she could protect herself, you know? Right. So my wife was born and raised in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. She's been in countless altercations. She herself has done with zero training, zero PowerPoint, zero anything, just a whole lot of awareness, mm -hmm. which we kind of, I don't know that we've done a great enough job. We try collectively in this industry mindset and awareness. I don't know that we've really, delivered that message well enough, but uh, she's got the mindset and she has your awareness, has done a legit real firearm disarm against someone that was going to, that was pointing firearm at her brother. She's been jumped. She's been cut, sliced, the whole deal, stabbed. Um, you, you know, as a child, you can't tell me under whatever context that if that's your sister, if that's your daughter, if that's a young girl, your niece that you care about, that she should not be equipped to deal with the violence that exists in her environment. You know, sure. I live, I'm very blessed. I live in a really nice area now and things are very quiet. Mm -hmm. The worst thing that happened here is fireworks on a Tuesday night. Like that's really like horrific, mm -hmm. right? That's not how I was born and raised. So, so maybe for people here that doesn't register from them, but 20 minutes down, you know, 25 minutes from here where I was born and raised, it's a different story. Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of really passionate about this idea. Like, yes, I'm going to train your kid if they need the training, as long as they can absorb the information for sure. Uh, same thing with training civilians. Civilians don't la don't rate less information because of their resume. Right. Mm -hmm. So so because a person is not a SWATologist or a military person or whatever does not mean that they don't rate the information then be a really good instructor, teach them skills, give them responsibility, kind of a use of force understanding, you know? Uh, I'm a nationally certified use of force instructor, so I really leverage that when I teach. Right. And I find a way to, without making it a law class, teach people, here's the skill set, here are some applications of that skill set, and here's how you use this force ethically, legally, and morally, so that you're doing the right thing. There you go, there you go, perfect, okay. How many years you been doing this? I would say I started teaching in the Marine Corps when I was 19, 18, 19 years old. And I'm 40, I'm going to be 45 in a few months, 25 years, I think. Okay. And how, yeah. how long with Omega? Omega, we had launched in September of 2011. Okay. All right. Yeah. So from the launch of Omega to today have you ever had a student come to you and say hey what you taught me 
saved my ass. And this is the situation that happened. Yes, it was actually uh, probably 2012. I had a police officer in South Jersey, young guy, just come, just came on the job, mm -hmm. real fit, really motivated, was there on his own time and on his own dime. There so go. there's no yeah. where this story ends up. You're going to be like, yeah, of course it went down that way. A week later, it was a uh, it was a edge weapons course. It was a a a, a uh, uh, you know how to respond to violent edge weapon attacks, knife attacks, and he goes out to a call in uh, the Camden area of New Jersey, uh, and uh, distressed individual was there. His hands were not visible, or one of his hands was invisible. One hand. You know, was behind the back, ended up having an edge weapon. He closed the distance with him and using the techniques that he learned a week before was able to eliminate that threat. Unfortunately for the su suspect, you know, permanently, but nonetheless, that cop came home and not just that the cop came home, he used force ethically, legally, and morally. There you go. And, and in today's world, how important is that, right? Very important because when one of us goes outside of the box and does not do the right thing, mm -hmm. uh, we should not be shocked when the civilian population responds the way that they respond to what is abuse by someone staining the badge. It gets exaggerated. The media starts their campaign. Mm -hmm. They want to destroy all of us. They want to make us feel that pain. Mm -hmm where people like you and I have to turn and focus on is they're doing what they do. They're responding how they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, you were street cop, man. The criminal is going to be the criminal. You're going to be the cop. And you, I'm sure, because I know your personality, there was people in the street that you dealt with that were not good people, but they respected uh, you. Mm -hmm. And in a way you respected them. Sure. Respect what they were doing, but you respected. You're like, Hey man, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. Your thing is don't get caught. And my thing is, I'm not going to disrespect you. And if you harm me or my buddies, you're going to, you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. But there's an understanding there. Yes. So when the civilian population goes crazy and the media goes crazy because someone abuses things, then when that, that carries into is when there's something that's perceived abuse because they want to have a trial in the first 13 seconds of the shooting, we're all, all the, all the police are losing their minds and we go to social media and we just go crazy. But it started at some point with someone that we called brother abusing, even if it's one in a million, it's one too much. And, you know, it's imperfection. We're not perfect, man. No one's perfect. Uh, but that's, I think what kind of happens. So um, he was successful. I was, I was really proud of him. Mm -hmm. He was thankful to me. I said, mm, I taught you what I've taught many people. And I, and I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, 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 and the words, definitely touched my heart. And I received that. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll tell this story to share with others. And you're also part of the story because you showed up and you invested in you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, it's probably one of my coolest stories because um, it's validation that you're doing something right. Yeah. It's, it's a, I've had it happen to me. And, and it's, it's, it is, it's a validation that you're doing something right. It makes you feel good. You know, especially if in the back of your mind, you're kind of like, you know, are they getting it? Am I doing the right thing here? You know, 
because me, I'm always checking myself. You know, I'm always checking myself. Is this the right thing? Are they getting it? Because um, it's important to me that, because I always have this saying that there's three types of, I think it's three types of people that will come in to, to a facility to learn, especially here. And it's going to be, the number one is something happened to them. I may not know it when they walk through the door. You may not know it when they walk through your door or when you meet them. And they're there for a reason, right? The other person is the person who says, you know, I've seen your videos. I've seen your, your website. This looks really cool. And I want to try to get involved in it. And they show up. And then that third person that comes in the door is just somebody. And, and you know, and, and it doesn't take much to, to figure them out. They're just a the person that needs to be there between this, you know, me, my classes are hour and a half classes weekly, uh, you know, a couple times a week. So they need to be someplace between 6.30 and 8 o'clock on a Tuesday and a Thursday night, you know, to, to kill some time. And you can, you can see that in some people and you can weed that out. But uh, I've had uh, a woman come back to me and, and give me her story of survival on an attack that she had, you know? And yeah, I agree with you, uh, you know, I put the information out to you. you, you understood it, you worked through it, and then you were put to task. And the funny thing is, we just don't know when we're gonna get put to task, you know? Never. So it's, it's a, it's, it was a great, again, a great feeling. So with that said, have you ever had anything happen to where it saved your life or the of your family. Yeah, it's interesting because I just this question just came up um, maybe two weeks ago, and actually last Thursday, and I never really spoke on it, and I, I wasn't sure why I didn't speak on it. You know, you could say it's humility, but you got to share. You got to tell people stories of, that are based. If it's a real story and it's based on experience. It's not a war story. Should share it because people, there's value there. Yes, right? there's agreed. Uh, and there's a way to do that with humility, right? Like, so, um, yes. And I was kind of processing. There was a lot. There's a lot of value in what I discovered, and I shared with my class. I was training a, a private group of of uh, very patriotic people, and. Um, what it was, was I was overseas and it was at night and I was getting from point A to point B and I was going through a dark alley. So this starts off like a wonderful movie, right? It's like, it's like, uh, uh, not the great setup. Mm -hmm. That's what it was The the environment dictated where I was and I had to be there. I wasn't hanging out mm -hmm. and I had an individual that was not very happy with my mere existence and he was behind me and I'm walking and I was with two other, I was with two other, uh, it was myself and two other friends of mine. And this is a long time ago. And, uh, he made it, he made it very clear that he wasn't happy with me. He wasn't happy with us, but he really didn't like me. And I was like, hey, man, let just I tried everything I tried all, before anyone trained me in verbal judo or anything, which is good, by the way. All that stuff is good. I don't say that 
uh, in a disparaging way. But before anyone taught me that professionally or I knew anything about use of force or anything like that, uh, um, I I knew that if I engaged with this person, it was not going to be good for him. And that was not my ego. I just knew I was going to eliminate this perpetual threat that was, he was kind of antagonistic and he hadn't yet crossed the threshold. You know, you've been sure. there, man. You know, and I'm like, hey, let's just not do this because it's, I, I don't want to. And it's not going to just, I didn't tell him it's not going to end well because that in itself is antagonistic. I was just like, hey, man, I don't want any trouble. But he wanted trouble. And I dealt with it. And I never felt good about it because I felt, so I used that and I protected myself and he was armed. But the reason, you know, the reason I was like, why don't I feel amazing? about that situation because I sure the hell will want my children and you and the people I love doing what I did. Mm -hmm. And if he's semi-conscious and in the ground in the fetal position vomiting, he did that to himself. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And the reason was I, it was something that I saw coming and I wanted to avoid and all my effort to avoid the situation failed. Mm -hmm. Everything I attempted failed until I went hands on. And it's like, you ever hit someone and you're gonna hit them full force because you know, time equals brutality in the sense of, you know, the longer time you spend striking someone, the perception is you're beating them, right? So right. I understand that. I've always understood that. And I, you know, I'm sure you've had situations where you're like, dude, just let's not do this. There's so much, you can just turn around and put your hands behind your back, right? Yeah. In, in, a, in a job setting. Well, it's mm -hmm. kind of like that, but outside of a job setting, it's like, let's not do this. And it was kind of a thing where I didn't want to do it. And even though it was ethical, even though it was legal, and even though it was moral, I just, I guess if it's a surprise attack and I need to deal with the violence right then and there, no problem. But I just knew that, I knew it was going to take me having to use a certain level of response for this guy to get it mm -hmm. because he wasn't getting it. So, uh, yes, I have. Okay. Uh, and, um, and he was armed and I was I didn't I didn't get a scratch on me. That doesn't mean I'm I'm Superman or that I'm special, but mm -hmm. I, I I dealt with it effectively. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, Moria Breu, you could uh, search any of our social media pro uh, platforms, either my name or our company, Omega Protective Concepts. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. We're probably have our heaviest presence on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and we're on every other social media platform as well. Instagram is kind of the place to be, or you can go on our website. There's a message uh, board on that. Uh, we're about to have massive explosive growth. Uh, my brother, David Wood, who is the CEO mm -hmm. of Virtus Outdoor Group. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a, um, a, a clothing and equipment company that makes uh, attire and some extreme workout gear uh, created by extreme outdoors men and uh, uh, special operations veterans mm -hmm. are partnering uh, alongside um, Jonathan Solomon, who's a former SOCOM uh, as well and CIA contractor, 
to birth Vogue Tactical. Uh, and Omega will be branched in that with uh, Virtus Outdoor Group and Jonathan to launch uh, launch this. And the effort is uh, counter human trafficking, not just training tier one units, but also again, in this humanitarian effort of counter human trafficking, partnering with uh, you know NGOs, uh, 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 different government entities to educate them on what to look for and kind of doing this on a massive global scale. So if you need to find me, basically anything with Omega Protective Concepts and here in the, new, in the near future, uh, and this is still something that's being birthed and cradled right now as we speak, it'll be VOG Tactical, V-O-G, which is Virtus Outdoor Group uh, Tactical. Uh, and actually all the training that we're doing uh, from this point forward, Omega, is under the umbrella and partnership of of Vogue Tactical. So Vogue Tactical is presenting, and and, and I will be executing the stateside uh, Omega Protective cl classes as we progress past this whatever 2020 was or whatever that thing was that COVID yeah. thing. And uh, as the world starts opening up, for now, until they try something again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see a whole lot more of that. So okay, that's a different. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a different podcast. All right, brother. Excellent. And hey, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast uh, and giving us a, uh, a peek into your life, uh, how you developed and how you developed Omega Protective Concepts. It was very interesting. And uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on board and uh, giving us that information. We'll be in touch. God bless you, man. Thank right, you. Take well. care.